Tony, what do you think of Callaway's claim? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <it's... laughs> hey everybody, welcome to No Putts Given. This is episode 69. Unless we're taking the ping approach, it's episode 70. We've got Adam, Harry, Chris, and Tony here, so let's get it. 420. Skip it. <laughs> All right. How's everybody doing? Tony, you're you're looking a little stiff today. I'm, yeah, I'm just, <laughs> camera's acting up. I'm just going to be like Pinocchio today. I'm going to be a wooden boy. <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm having trouble focusing because I just want to see if he moves or if he can hold it up. So is oh. his camera. Oh, so is his camera, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, by the way, I want to I get a word out to Ping, PR rep of any kind. If you can really give us an official statement on the passing over of 420 420 g420 whatever happened to that we, you know golfers want to know we have our suspicions golf and chill <laughs> golf and chill it was going so well with 400 410 and ping is like clockwork for tw- uh 25 what's interesting is like when we used to look at all the patents for golf patents you could go back to ping and look they just went like 410 20 30 40 50 60 70 80 i mean they just patented or trademarked all those names you know but Somebody advised him not to go with golf and chill. I reckon he would have sold a shit ton. Yeah, I think it would have helped. So many lines. That one was packed packed to punch. <laughs> like, there is so many that you could use. He, sounds like you're speaking from experience there, Harry. Yes. TaylorMade didn't run from the burner, so. No. All right, well, Harry, how are things going at the facility? Putter testing is underway, right? Yeah, two tests at the same time. It's um, putter testing's cracking on. We have blades that have just started right now. Less blades than last year, thank God, because mm. I think we we're up close to 50 blades or 50 putters last year, which was redonkulous. But this year, we've we've narrowed it down to two. We're down from 50 models to just two models. Yeah, <laughs> just I'm, two I'm models, curious. just <laughs> two in each brand. I mean, two in each brand. All right. So, what are the release dates? So everybody's been asking, kind of like, when is the driver test coming out, putter test, and first bag, first soft good test coming out? So we're looking at most wanted drivers end of Feb. Mm-hmm. Uh, putters for blades and mallets will closely follow after that probably in two week increments i believe it's early feb for the bags cart bags should be the first thursday in yep. february for cart bags yeah. cart bags and then following that will be stand bags so a couple weeks and for those of you that follow us closely for the most part check on mondays for most wanted and check on thursdays for buyer's guides so if that helps you narrow it down to when to expect to see those things, that's it's usually how it it falls out. Yeah. And uh, we don't want to kind of give up what we're doing, but uh, we're going to include some putters this year into this test. That will be really interesting, I think, to see how other things perform against what, uh, you know, the new models do as well. So those will be coming out after the putter test, but should be really interesting to find out. Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, I want to dig into this topic. This actually came across our group chat earlier in the week, and I knew that we were going to have to cover it on No Putts Given. But um, Callaway put out on Instagram, Twitter, on social media, a graphic. For those of you listening, essentially, it's a bar graph saying or claiming that Callaway balls are more centered than the Titleist Pro V1s. So, um, guys, I want to get your thoughts. Why don't we start with our, our ball expert here, Tony? What do you think of Callaway's claim? Ooh. <laughs> uh, it's, you know, obviously, I immediately checked in with a lot of people around the industry, and uh, 
general feedback is is ballsy was one joke somebody made but <laughs> um yeah it's 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 bold and uh you know I, I think it's especially bold when you consider you know Callaway regardless of of whether or not it's true right that that's one piece of it and then the other is looking at this in the full context of of Callaway ball manufacturing history where you can go back basically a decade at least if not more based on some of the stuff people have emailed us and said yeah you know what these guys have not been able to center a golf ball forever and now if they're actually doing it which you know we are seeing some improvements when we test in ball lab but to come out and say yeah you know for for six months we've gotten we we're good at this so you know we're, we're gonna boast is whew, yeah after you know essentially putting suspect balls on the market and into the hands of golfers for literally you know a decade it's uh True or not, it's just not the kind of claim that I, I, I would make. And I would say, too, in, in, again, surveying industry guys, many of whom have no particular dog in this fight, they're just kind of shaking their heads, you know, general consensus, it's a bad look. Hmm. And, and I would also add that, you know, you, you sort of have to consider the timing, right? They, they put it up on Instagram, they disabled comments, and then they buried it <laughs> under a mountain of epic, you know, promotion. So it's like, what are you guys doing? Like the the ultimate hit and run job, really. And so <laughs> I think if you kind of look at, all right, where does it go from here? I, I would wager that the Titleist certainly reached out via their legal team and was like, all right, you know, put up or shut up. Let's see your data. Where is this coming from? Because the, the methods behind it aren't necessarily clear. And that's not, you know, you're not going to put all that stuff in a graphic anyway. And it's a case where the home team always wins to begin with. But I wouldn't be surprised if we see some some fairly aggressive follow-up from Titleist as this kind of drags on. The other option is it just disappears quietly. And you know, we typically know what's behind that kind of stuff too. So we shall see. I'm looking at the graphic now, and it's not just a more centered claim that they're making. They're also making claims on concentricity and frequency. What are they saying with those, Tony? It's yeah, it's, it's really hard to say because there's not a, a lot of clarity. It's not mm -hmm. like universally understood industry language. You know, and again, I want to be clear. We have not looked at balls that Callaway has produced within the last six months as, as they roll out new balls in the coming months. We'll cycle back. But I mean, from what we've seen, you know, on the concentricity piece, right, is the same thickness on one side of the ball as the other. Certainly, you know, we haven't seen that with our previous orders. Will we see it this time around? I don't know. But historically speaking, they haven't been good in that respect. So again, even if you are better now, uh, to sort of try and ignore everything you've done previously is is super sketch. I wanted to back up for people that don't even know what we're talking about a little bit, maybe, okay. and explain how we got here, right? So Callaway put out an ad that said they had more centered cores, right? Than Titleist Pro V1. Pro V1X. Pro V1X, sorry. Pro V1X, um, yes. That's an important detail that we can talk about a little bit later on here. So explain how we got here. We did a ball test that showed that there was some major concerns, right? with the golf ball that Callaway puts out. We also did a find it, cut it, which found the same results that we did from the uh, ball test. And then we built a ball lab. And uh, so let's go through this really quickly. They claim that they were the ball that changed the ball, right? We did a test that found out it was the most, probably the most concerning quality control ball we saw in a test. We cut balls open and found the same problem. They then invested $50 million to do a lot of things. But one of those things was to fix the quality control. We then did a test after that and we still found issues. So now they're saying they have not only fixed the issues, but they're better than the ball that has been the best ball for, I don't know, almost a hundred years. <laughs> 
it's disingenuous. It's misleading in my opinion. And yeah, we'll wait to see if they have the data to back it up. But I don't think there's anybody that has publicly tested their balls and put out the information more than we have that go directly against what they're saying. Now, on the other side, you know, always seek to understand, right? Why would they be doing this? Well, they got punched in the mouth really hard. And tell me the last time you saw an ad for a golf ball company showing how centered their golf balls were, right? That happened directly because of a ball test and a find it, cut it, and a ball lab that we did. Or else there nobody would be talking about the center of a cores. You know, no one even cared what was inside a ball. Then they have, you know, they're a publicly traded company. So they have investors. They spent $50 million. They publicly told people they did. They then have to show that that $50 million was well spent. So when you seek to understand the other side of why they're doing this, it is obvious. That said, there is a line of bullshit that the golf industry knows they can walk up to when it comes to marketing. And most companies walk up to it and step back a couple steps. In my opinion, Callaway seems to step over that line more than any other company in golf. And the longer you're in this business, you hate to see it more and more. And that's why you tend to trend towards companies like a Titleist or a Ping, where you just go, they do it right, you know? Chris, what do you think? Are you on the same page that you think it's Callaway overstepping a line here or basically trying to make up for what they've been called out on? Yeah, I mean, uh, to borrow a phrase from Tony, he always uh, talks about something being adjacent. You know, I feel like Callaway often is truth adjacent. So so often there's there's something that y- y- you want to trust the picture that's being put in front of you. And the closer you look at it, the longer you look at it, you find reasons not to trust what uh, what's immediately in front of you. And, and we could go through examples over time where that's been the case, whether it's certain language in press releases or how they discuss things like made for uh, golf shafts that, that wasn't entirely uh, honest or, or transparent. And the two other pieces that, that kind of spoke to me on this one is is one, we saw a similar type of strategy toward the end of the five years war, right? It was kind of the the historical time period where Harry Arnett and, and, and people inside Callaway basically said, hey, we want to take over TaylorMade, right? And they had kind of this five-year battle plan, if you will, to do that. And if you look especially toward the end of that battle plan, what did they do from a media uh, standpoint that actually we wrote an article on it? What you saw is they started to control their own narrative, they started to dictate to other people how and when they were going to talk about certain things. So they produced their own shows. They produced a lot of their own content and material. And so once again, what we're seeing here is them producing their own reality. Now, in, in, in that, is it true? Is it false? They said, we, we don't have a, a 3D x-ray machine to compare it to. We don't really even know what this test did. Yeah, it's certainly, for me, it's like, all right, interesting but I have a lot of questions and obviously you, you, it, there's no reasonable expectation that those, all the questions that pop into my head would be addressed in a graphic. Right. That's They're not going to do unrealistic, that. Yeah. But it's, yeah. And that's also part of why things get condensed into graphics. Well, the thing that when you were talking, Chris, that stuck out to me was dictating your own reality. Right. And I want to get back to real reality. So first there was a ball test that obviously found issues that we did with the Chrome soft. They were incredibly concerning. This was after they claimed to be the ball that changed the ball. Not before, but after that, right? Then we forget, but they sent out a press release about our test to try to undermine not only our test, but they had no problems with quality control, which is odd because 
they then visited us and told us that they did have a problem and that they were investing $50 million into a problem that supposedly didn't exist. Okay. Then they came out and said that had gotten better. We built a ball lab. We looked at it and it hadn't gotten that much better. So when you keep saying it gets better and you, you try to do all these things to undermine the real reality, where does that leave the, the consumer with knowing what the truth is, right? We've been in that situation for the last few years. The truth is hard to find. But all I can tell you is I don't know of another place out there that is publicly putting out the information of quality control for a golf ball other than my golf spy, and we just haven't seen it yet. And like Tony said, maybe they have now. We just haven't seen it. I mean, yeah. and that's the thing. Like they've been, you know, again, the, the analogy that, that Callaway has used when it comes to improving the quality and, and basically operations in general at the ball plant is that it, it is like changing the tires on a moving car. You can't, you can't shut down ball production for six months and go, all right, we're going to, we're going to close it down. We're going to send all of our employees home and we're going to fix everything. So, okay. I understand it's a tough problem to fix. That said, how do you believe them that it's actually fixed when they've told you it was fixed three times and it wasn't fixed. Well, again, I don't I don't know that they've said it is absolutely fixed. What has been conveyed to me is we are fixing it and we will get there and we will be the quality leader. That is that is kind of the roadmap that's been laid out. And but so, you can't state that until you become the quality leader and Titleist has proven that for decades. Well, and I think so Callaway may believe that they have now surpassed Titleist, whether that's real or not. Again, you know, we're going to there are new balls coming as as we're recording this. Let's deal in reality. Is Callaway a better ball than Titleist balls from everything we know? From what I have seen, there is no evidence at all. Not even close. It's not even close. Let's be real. I will not dispute that. Chris, you convened a ball roundtable where you talked to leaders at Callaway, right. Bridgestone, and Snell about taking down Titleist. Can you take us back and remind us what Callaway said about Titleist being their main competitor? And if you're going to compete with anybody, it's got to be the guys at the top. Yeah. And part of what their messaging around that was too, is we may not win on tour, but we're going to win over here in the consumer space. And and, and how are we going to win with average you know, consumers that are walking into a big box store? Well, here's the problem with that is that consumers, like I said, graphics like this and things, they, they inherently confuse. And if we're to take Callaway at face value, right, then what you're basically telling me is to use Callaway's own analogy of, you know, changing the tires on a car uh, as you're driving in the middle of the race. So you're basically against the Ferrari that's been the Ferrari or whatever for the last 20 years. And you're telling me that you can throttle back, change tires and make all these adjustments you need to. And now you've sped ahead of that car that's been leading the race for the last 20 years. Maybe, maybe they did, but we don't have any evidence that suggests that that's actually true. And, and I go back to one other quote, I, one of my favorite Walter Payton uh, sweetness, right? One of my favorite Walter Payton quotes all time. So, you know, basically paraphrasing here, but you know, when you're good at something, you'll tell everybody. When you're great at something, they'll tell you. It's one thing for any company to say, hey, here's what we do. This is the best, blah, blah, blah. Okay, great. That's that marketing, like Adam said, kind of that bullshit line that everybody gets to step up to and, and have some leeway around. But it's when you really hear, you know, when you're talking to people inside the industry all the time and they say things about other companies and that ball round table, if you listen to it, everybody quietly or maybe not so quietly admitted that, you know, Titleist was the front runner and and nobody else was saying that about any other ball 
Yeah, I want to add a couple things. So first, to touch on what you just said, you know, again, talked with a few people across the industry, right? One of the first things that came out was, you know, just a, a quick discussion. And somebody who I should be clear is not affiliated with Titleist in any way, basically said, look, their Titleist quality control is exceptional. Like they are the benchmark for the industry. And I don't think, you know, there, there may be some stuff that gets said for consumer consumption. But if you talk to anybody privately, there is essentially universal agreement that Titleist is the benchmark. And the other piece that I would add here that was is kind of interesting that, that puts us in a little bit of context, right? Like I said, it was kind of a, a hit and run job to a degree where you you put it out there, you disable content, and then you pile a bunch of stuff on top of it to, with Epic launch. But you know, one of the things like it's social media, lifespan on that is maybe 24 hours, but you know, if you kind of consider how the image the industry as a whole works, sales reps are gonna latch onto this, right? And they're gonna take it around to their accounts and show them and say, hey, look, you know, my ball is better because I've got this graphic here. And it, it, it essentially goes viral in the sense of kind of the retail chain, especially in the green grass environment. Based on kind of what was how it is explained to me and how this stuff works, yeah, it seems like that may have been a a piece of the strategy here is just to kind of to put that out there among the sales reps more than it is the actual consumer. But to do that, you kind of have to make it forward facing. So I think some classic strategery at play. Um, <laughs> but yeah, is I guess all you can say is is what it is. Yes, Harry. Hi, I'm here as well, guys. Just to say <laughs> hi. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. Everyone is at home eating their popcorn, listening to what's going on, just going back and forth. But Tony kind of stole my answer with, I really don't think that Callaway gives two shits that they they are potentially right. I think they want to get back in the, back in the noise with the golf ball because they got hit so hard. I don't think even if it's not quite as centered as Titleist, I don't think they care they'll get a legal letter and they'll take it down. But by that time, maybe hundreds of thousands of people have seen that message and that's all that needs to, to go. And it's a word of mouth and it goes bang and bang. It's like a domino effect. And the more people see it or more people hear about it, the more time they might believe it. Yeah, I mean, what do they say, right? When you get knocked down, what do they tell you to do? Yeah, get you back get up. back up. Right, and they got knocked down yeah. like hard and they know it. And you see it, right? When they cut off comments, look at our direct messages. Just look <laughs> in the back end of our direct messages of how many people right. went, dude, did you see this bullshit, right? What is your response? And that's them, like you said, Harry, trying to get back into that discussion and yeah, talk. I literally think that's it. I think they're getting back in the discussion. Yeah, it's no different than the lawyer, right? That that has right. a boastful comment they know someone's going to object to and you know, and the judge is going to tell the jury to disregard what they just heard. You can't disregard what you just heard. So they know they're going to say it. Yeah, exactly. Right? And, and they know it's going to get heard. It's, oh, sorry, my bad. And, you know, but everybody heard it. Maybe it served its purpose in the, in that short term. Yeah, but I don't know, man. Like words and things have consequences, you know. And to me, being in this industry as long as I have, you have this kind of, you know, there's a bunch of different things you have going on. But one of them is this trust and kind of like their bar graph, right? I've got a trust graph going on constantly with who we deal with and what they tell us versus what we know. And, you know, Callaway just at every opportunity to raise their bar just keeps dropping lower, in my opinion. Okay, but if not this, what do they do outside of figuring out Titleist quality control secrets? What do they do if not this? Thank you for asking. So what I will say is, <laughs> like, there, there are some things that, in my opinion... 
I'm just my opinion, but in terms of general approach to, to putting its products in front of the consumer and what it puts in front of the consumer and things like that, I think, I think there are some things that, that Taylor, or Titleist, excuse me, does stubbornly or doesn't do to its own detriment. I think it's so kind of almost set in its ways that it, it, it can't get out of the, the tire ruts that it's blazed. And so I think, you know, Callaway is aware of that. They see some of the, the liabilities that Titleist creates for itself mm-hmm. and is, is going to take advantage of that. You're going to see them punch, in my opinion, based on what I know is in the pipeline, take a pretty so- solid punch at, at Titleist in the mouth here in the coming months. And I think, I think that's the right way to do it. You, you, you beat them with the stuff they're not doing. That's a great point. You and I have discussed a couple of those launches that they're going to do to try to take advantage of what you're talking about. But back to what Chris said about Walter Payton. I think Titleist is in that good versus great, right? And when you're great, people talk about you. And when you're good, you talk about yourself. Well, Titleist are a brand that don't really boast about their products. They know they they're have, great. They know they have a really great product. If, Sweetness, they, if baby. they did that, they wouldn't wear their jackets at the PGA show because that wouldn't <laughs> quite fit the persona, you know? It's it's not it's not their it's not their brand philosophy to go around saying we're the best, we're the best, we're the best. It just doesn't fit their their philosophy. Yeah, and so so two final points I would make in this conversation. The first is whether it's a graphic like Callaway put out or a graphic like that that every company has put out in the history of golf. Like the rules are the same and the the home team always wins. And again, never knowing kind of the test conditions and everything that goes into it, you have to take this stuff with a grain of salt until you can get some sort of independent validation. So that's that's certainly one piece. And then regarding the, the Titleist quality control piece, yeah, I mean, they have certainly talked about their quality control for years, right? And positioned themselves as the, as the leader. But I don't believe Titleist is the leader in quality control because Titleist said so. I believe it because of what I've seen in Ball Lab. I believe it because when I talk to their competitors, they tell me that Titleist is the best at this. They are the benchmark. And so it is that Walter Payton analogy. I don't believe it because Titleist told me. It's because I've heard it from everybody else. And back to the question Miranda asked, what else should they do? Well, here's what I would do personally. When you're left up with an opportunity of what to do, that doesn't mean your only opportunity or only thing you can do is bullshit and lie, you know? Tell mm-hmm. the truth. And I feel like this is bullshit and I think it's I think it's misleading. At the end of the day, I just I just have a problem where you know you kind of come out as like, "Hey, we're number 1." And we're going to ignore that everything that happened when, you know, as as a brand that tries to position yourself as as a leader, you could argue, you know, we're number 6. Well, Tony, what have you what have you seen in testing? Bottom line, like you you've seen it firsthand. Is Callaway better than the Pro V1X? They no, but, no. There's nothing. But again, you know, allowances for the hey, we'll see where they are when we test and test the new batch. But you know, certainly when we when we look at the the current crop of tour level balls based on our most recent measurements, no, it's it's not even a maybe. Well, if you look at it, no, no, under no metric is Callaway better. No quality metric. For me right there, that's the bottom line. And that's about as definitive as it gets. And Tony, you mentioned that last week, uh, Titleist and Callaway both put out uh, new launches of balls, the Titleist Pro V1 and Pro V1X and Callaway ERCs. But before we get into specifics of those, I want to get each of your opinions or maybe a collective opinion on why Titleist success in quality control is so difficult to replicate. Why haven't other companies figured it out? (laughs) 
the broad question. Mean, who do you want to start? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's it, it's sort of right. Like every every company has its its foundation and, and how it mm-hmm. started. And if you go back to Titleist, right, like you can trace their ball to a dentist who, ironically enough, coincidentally <laughs> enough, discovered Use a 3D that, X-ray machine. <laughs> well, at least a 2D X-ray <laughs> to to realize that his golf ball was off center, and that's maybe why he missed a putt. And so. Like that, that's the impetus for the brand right there. And so the entirety of the Titleist brand, especially on the ball side, is rooted in the idea that golfers deserve superior quality products. Well, and also we've said this before, and you know, Tony and I talk at nauseum about this probably behind the scenes, but it is not too hard to make a single golf ball really well, meaning a centered golf ball. It is really hard to replicate that a million times over. It costs a lot of money. A lot of you know oversight, a lot of checkpoints, a lot of machinery. It is difficult to make a golf ball really good every single time. So does that mean Titleist has invested that money in the dedication where other companies aren't? Personally, I think it is this. I think Titleist, that is a cornerstone of their business, the ball, right? Hmm. And it has been for a very long time. Other people that are trying to chip away at that Think about it. Would you rather chip away at it spending a little money on marketing or a lot of money investing in infrastructure, internal equipment and things like that at first? If you can chip away to start getting more money to come in to fund the equipment and the better quality control, I would say it's easier to chip away at it from the marketing first and invest in the equipment later. So really, it's about which one you prioritize and and going about doing it the right way versus going about doing it the wrong way. Tyler's have control of the whole process when it comes to making a ball. Like the whole process from start to finish, they have control of. These other companies out for there- For every ball they make. Yeah, too. for every ball. And that's true. I mean, that's true like Strixon, for example, yes. and Bridgestone, for example. But like there's nothing in their lineups that I know of that isn't made at, at one of their factories. And that's, those are really the, the only three brands that I know of that you can say that about. Who has control of making the Callaway? Chromesoft. Callaway controls, you know, that's a Callaway factory. So okay. if you're going to invest- you invest in your own factory, right? That's that's kind of, you yeah. know, let's, let's not pay to upgrade somebody well, else's. I do think it is just worth reminding. It's hard to make a ball. It costs a lot of money to make a ball really well. So I'm not putting them down for what they're trying to do. It's just how they're going about putting the messaging out there, right? You know, Titleist, right? For years, people have said this. They are a golf ball company that also makes clubs. And Callaway, for sure, was a club company that also made balls. And now... You are starting to see, as you said, more funneling into the ball side, more balance, but that doesn't happen overnight. And should we remind people that not as much money is made on clubs as balls sometimes, oh, yeah. you know, margin wise? For sure. Well, it's disposable goods, right? Like you need you need more than one a year. And margins are better, yeah. You know, Miranda, to your point, to your question of, of you know, why the difference, I'm going to use an analogy. I know that's something I don't do very often. Surprise, surprise. surprise. Chris's analogy of the week. Um, <laughs> so I had some golf shirts that I'd wear them once or twice. They get really smelly. You know what I mean? Did you wash them in between? <laughs> do you have a washing machine? <laughs> Details. <laughs> Details. And, and I had a, a couple other shirts that didn't seem to have the same issue. And part of what I found out is one of the shirts had like this antimicrobial spray on or whatever. It was something that they applied to the fabric after production. And the other shirts had this antimicrobial kind of technology too, but it was baked into the actual threads. 
so it wouldn't wash off, it wouldn't come off over X number of wares. It, it wasn't something that got built at one factory and then sprayed on at another. It was inherent in the fibers, literally, it was inherent in the fabric of, of, of this particular garment. And I liken that to, uh, to Titleist, where they don't do quality control and put it on top of things, right? Like, they don't have this layer of quality control that they place on the different steps. It literally is fundamental and inherent in everything that they do. And if you're starting a brand new company and, and you're getting into the ballgame maybe a little bit late and stuff like that, you got to make that decision at day one that that's what you're going to do. You can't make that decision down the road. And if you don't, like like Adam's saying, to tear stuff down, start over, and try to bait quality control into everything that you do, it's cost-aversive, much easier to spend the money to do the spray-on you know, antimicrobial stuff. Better to do the spray on stuff. It's cheaper. That 3M spray you put on your couch. Yeah, that's it, man. That's Scotch it. Guard. Scotch guard. <laughs> or is it baked into is it is it were you because you were such a you know a textile guru that at the beginning you cared so much you said, Hey, I want to make the best fabric I possibly can. In order to do that, I gotta bake this in from step one. You cannot inspect quality into a product. Right. There you go. That's it. The uh, the golf balls that Titleist are making are completely different than the Chrome Soft. Chrome Softs are using different materials that don't really bond together. Well, you're you're talking about like the compression, right? And that's yeah, yeah it's fundamentally more difficult to make a low compression golf ball. And so Callaway is, you know, again, that is the market opportunity, right? Titleist traditionally didn't play in that soft space. Golfers like soft golf balls. We know this to be true. And so, hey, let's let's make a soft golf ball but understand that you know this is more complex and it turns out maybe you know we needed to put some upgrades too complex yeah and let's let's remind everybody i don't we got off the pro v the new ball thing sorry miranda but yeah, let's get back to that <laughs> but remember no one gave a shit about what was inside a golf ball until they started to see it you know and so why if you if you're making balls and people love the softball and they're claiming that oh my god this thing feels so great which we know golfers love that especially with putting but no one's actually checking out the inside of the ball. You don't really care if some of them come out of the factory off center or not, you know, because no one's caring at the point. Now they do. So making a soft golf ball is more difficult. So now they have a difficult problem on their hand. Not only is it more difficult to make, but now it's been exposed that there are some issues with it, right? So it's a tough mm -hmm. fix. All right, Tony, talk to me about the new Pro V1s, Pro V1Xs. We, I'm sure, expect it to be uh, more of the same from Titleist. Yeah, and to, to a degree it is, right? And we expect quality will still be excellent. We expect the balls will perform. I think we can easily project that the new generation of Pro V1 and Pro V1X will be the, the most played ball on tour, right? These are, these are all things that are, that are virtually given. So the tagline here is better from cover to core. And so the, the real, I guess, if you will, interesting thing is, right, it, it almost is a, a total redesign within the limited space you have to, to redesign a golf ball, right? You're not going to make it square. <laughs> nothing like that and, are and you sure yeah and it's well and it still needs to be basically the same material composition so basically the your finer points are they're going to launch a little bit higher and spin a little bit more than the previous versions around the green maybe even a little lower spin off the driver softer core so it may feel a touch softer to golfers just depending on how they interpret it but it's it's largely compression neutral because they're using a firmer casing layer which was built from lessons learned on my favorite golf ball the Pro V1X Left Dash and then kind of the biggest piece of the story here is a new dimple pattern for both balls it is the first time they've done a a complete cover redesign in 10 years now that's not to say they've never done anything 
it's kind of the first major, major overhaul of, of the dimple pattern in a decade. And in this story, I, I position dimples as kind of the unsung heroes of golf ball for performance. And so the, the big takeaway here is that Titleist puts a different cover on every golf ball they make to, again, optimize for the, the performance characteristics of that ball, where a lot of its competitors use the same cover on everything. And so, you know, a, a cover that may be optimized for, say, a higher spinning high launch ball isn't going to be as optimized for a lower spinning mid launch ball, that type of thing. So that, that's why habitually Pro V1 and Pro V1X have different covers. Pro V1 has a different cover than Torsoft, right? It's or Tor Speed. So it's, you know, it's just something that, that Titleist does that not everybody else does. And you see it especially in, you know, touch again on the in the, in the direct to consumer space where a lot of these factory balls literally have the same cover. I would think, right? The foremost 308 dimple <laughs> pattern is is on about probably a thousand golf balls. So, you know, minor details and you have to understand, right? Just like the club guys, ball companies are, are trying to just squeak out just tiny amounts of performance and you know titleist thinks that a dimple pattern is an opportunity so with that tony question like one thing we've seen with clubs this year right is we talked that model differentiation and so you know more separation between you know the the mainline driver and the low spin driver the lower spin driver being even lower spin do you think that with what pro v1 pro v1 x are if somebody was a pro v1 player is it a situation where they might be a Pro V1X player this time around, or that people largely probably going to stay within that particular ball? They've essentially maintained separation between the, the products. So both are a little higher launching. Pro V1X potentially a little bit higher launching still, but I think Titleist is comfortable where they are with the linear relationship in their ball lineup. So AVX, right? Low launch, low spin, Pro V1, mid launch, mid spin, and then X high launch, high spin. So if you're an X guy, you're probably not going to move into a Pro V1. If you're a Pro V1 guy, you're probably going to stay there. So mm-hmm. yeah, no. Shouldn't, shouldn't mess with your fitting equation, which I guess in, in some cases is probably nice. Yeah. Can you clear up the biggest question for, I know me, because I'm still bloody confused on it. <laughs> When when Titleist changed the Pro V and then switched it around or did whatever they did to confuse the whole golf industry, went that way. What is what is what these days? Like what is what? So is this the old Pro V? No, it's it's what it has been the last couple revisions. Again, they to simplify their lineup, they needed to complicate the lives of of golfers who've been <laughs> playing these balls for years. Oh my god, mine. <laughs> so yeah, it's real simple, right? AVX low low, Pro V one mid mid, Pro V one X high high. For launch and spin, and then if left dash, uh, high low. So that's uh, left dash is certainly kind of the monkey wrench on the whole system. But yeah, I mean it's it's as straightforward and easy to understand as it gets, so long as you sort of your knowledge of the Pro V one and Pro V one X wasn't rooted in where they were. So yeah, the Pro V is the same kind of concept as it was before they made the switch. No, 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 it's, it's the opposite. Since the switch, See, it became. This is mid, what mid. happens, Tyler, when you mess with people's <laughs> minds. <laughs> low, low, mid, mid, high, high. That's it. Like low, mid, high. That's that's all it is. This AVX Harry. to Harry, this to X. Yes, low, I mid, know high. this, but then that's they switched it to go like this. No, 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 no. no, no you're no. not dabbing. You're not dabbing. We're just they we're just switched going like it this. to be like this. I don't know how I'm still working for my golf spot. I, I ain't getting this, you know. <laughs> Tony, how about the Callaway ERC soft golf balls? What are we seeing from those? Yeah, so again, just same type of thing, right? So the big story with the ERC soft is also a new cover. Mm-hmm. Paraloid hybrid is what they're calling it. It's, you know, material produced by DuPont. 
in case anybody cares, right? Your chemical, <laughs> your chemical company. But the whole idea is to build on on the ionomer category and make a cover that is softer and more durable, closer to urethane. We've talked about this before, and I could go on and piss probably a lot of golfers off, but why not? I don't whether whether it's Titleist, whether it's Callaway, <laughs> whether it's anybody else who dabbles in this space, like the premium ionomer category doesn't really need to exist. I mean. For Callaway, they used it to introduce triple track, which I guess is is kind of a cool vehicle for that. But ultimately, this is this is somebody who doesn't want to spend forty dollars on a golf ball, but wants to spend at least thirty, like, and doesn't want to buy direct to consumer because you can get higher performing direct to consumer balls in this price range. You don't you get the urethane cover, you get solid quality control for about the same price or less than these these premium ionomer offerings. So. Callaway will say, hey, you know, it, it's higher launch and low spin, but hey, you know what? That That's a Chrome Soft. That's a, that's a left dash. It's just really, it's a price point. Low-fat ice cream never tastes as good as the real thing. <laughs> that's yeah, it so really true, is. Like, they can make it as good tasting as they want to and do this stuff and this, that, and, and whatever to get it close. It's simple math, right? You know there are consumers who will spend more than 30 who won't spend 40 You don't have a ball between 30 and $40. There you go. And so you're starting to see this this rise in that $30 to $40 category. Low-fat ice cream. Pointless. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, new release season is the gift that just keeps on giving. Harry, you've got the new line of Mizuno drivers that just launched today in the facility. What do they look like? How do they feel? Tell us about them. I mean, you've seen them probably released some USGA legal pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, they look exactly like those. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. And moving on. <laughs> I haven't really hit them that much, so I can't really say regarding performance. But on previous years, I really enjoy seeing them progress because they haven't made. Let's face it, they haven't made a good driver since I got here three years ago. And then every year, I, I, I think they would argue with you. But well, sure. when it comes to the big boys, they're not quite up there. So I mean, just like the analogy of Tylist, you're trying to get the the top, and they're improving each year to try and get on the standard of their irons, which are, you know, second to none. A really cool thing about this year's lineup is stock offerings. They're offering the Motori X on F3 and F1. Does it, does it look like that? It does. <laughs> um, so I swear I didn't plan that either. That is what I've been told is not a watered down version. It no, is, it's real. That is real. It's legit. Packs a punch. I use that shaft. I really enjoy it. That's now stock, so you get your four hundred dollar shaft for free. Nice. Well, that was a two hundred fifty dollar or two hundred shaft, so it was like two eighty five or two sixty five, well, yeah. something like that. It, well, yeah, it wasn't four hundred. You know, well, there you go. I think what's happened too, Miranda, with with Mizuno is, you know, if you were to talk to them too, right, they'd say, you know, you can see a pretty clear delineation when they started to kind of get serious again about drivers, and they would admit that it wasn't a a, a foremost priority the metal was and, and some of that was because of what they were doing internally and some of it was kind of what they were doing externally to to have tour players and people that are contractually obligated the opportunity to not play their metal woods. So you look at like the 190 series was really kind of the beginning of that. And you've seen you saw certain advancements with the uh, 200 series and you can almost kind of see them learning things each iteration. Mm-hmm. And you know, I would say this time around their hope probably is that they were able to maybe a little bit better dial in sound. I think performance-wise, ball speed-wise, uh, the last edition uh, held in their 
you know, reasonably well. Um, a lot of people like that kind of classic, you know, look at a dress. It wasn't too visually exciting. It was just pretty, pretty clear, pretty plain. And if they can increase ball speed fractionally, uh, as everybody else is trying to do, improve kind of the acoustics and sound of it, that's one step closer to kind of being more in that mix. And I think that's probably what their hope would be this time around, but we'll see, see how it plays out. Adam, the guys are right. Typically, when we talk Mizuno, we're talking about irons. But do you see them progressing to starting to compete with the, the big dogs eventually? I see kind of two things, Miranda. Uh, one is pedigree, and the other is, you know, evolutionary changes. So mm-hmm. one is, you think about a car like a BMW or a Mercedes, they have like a foundational look and feel. They don't tear that down, and then the next year design something. They evolve that, right? So, and every company kind of has their pedigree. So, for example, when PXG brought Ping people over to design their clubs, those people had been designing a Ping look and a Ping pedigree and a Ping foundation, right? So, it looked a little bit similar. So, Mizuno has that foundation. And here's what I'm trying to say. They're starting down here where the leaders are up here. And the analogy I always like to give is Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps was looking for that one-tenth of a second, one-hundredth of a second. And that's where these elite companies are at this point. Callaway is increasing ball speeds this year. I mean, they're at the mountaintop for ball speed, right? Mm -hmm. For their foundational knowledge of how to get there. Mizuno's starting down here. So it takes just so much longer to get there, those incremental improvements. And while I think they make a good driver, I don't think they make the best in class. And I think they're years away from it just because everybody had such a head start building that foundational technological base, you know? There's market realities in play. So I just got the the year-end uh, golf data tech numbers uh, for the driver category. TaylorMade and Callaway accounted for 60% of the driver market last year. So, you know, that that's two companies. Now add Ping <laughs> and Titleist and Cobra and you're probably 80, high 80s, low 90s. Yeah. And so... You know, it, it almost doesn't matter to a degree how good a Mizuno driver is. The the opportunities for, for market share are, are relatively narrow. Well, you say that, but if they started winning launch monitor battles definitively, things would change. And that's tough to do. That's what I'm saying mm-hmm. is I got something that I come across my desk early this week. Keith Mitchell, who games their new driver, was actually number one on, on distance with... 326 yards point one at the Sony Open on the weekend. So yeah, but it's because Keith Mitchell swings really hard and makes yeah, but so contact. Did, so right? did Bryson. <laughs> if they're going for launch monitor battle, but that's a that's an end of one, meaning yes, that's one person, right? right? But I'm talking about when people go into stores and put it up, try a Mizuno against a TaylorMade, and the Mizuno keeps beating the Callaways and the TaylorMades. That's going to be the only thing that moves the needle for Mizuno. And until mm-hmm. then, they're not going to be considered a, a serious driver company. I like that they're incrementally making better decisions and making better drivers but, throughout but the year. But everybody is. Every, everybody's making some incremental gains for the most part. And you look at where they're coming from. So Mizuno did some stuff, right? Thinned out areas of the face strategically, which again is the kind of thing this, this face reshaping is, is an ongoing annual thing for just about everybody. And ultimately where that comes from is, you know, they are now, this is what, third generation, Chris? So they're, they're, the, the titanium they're using. Mm-hmm, correct. And so there is, you know, the, where the ST name comes from, right? So there is a comfort level with that. They know what the material does. And so just because of that, they are able to push 
closer to those USGA limits, narrow their tolerances. So it, again, a lot of it is the same. And again, for everybody, it's speed through manufacturing, right? Not necessarily like innovative designs, right? And tolerances of those speeds. But when you're competing a Mizuno against a Callaway and where they where they are with let's say AI and TaylorMade with the all the stuff that they've got when we see the inside of the driver, it's tough to compete with those people that have been doing this for that long and know that much information and are squeaking out things that are ahead of where you're at. Well, here's a ridiculous thing to say too, whereas like as opposed to we spent a lot of time today talking about golf balls and and, and things like that. People aren't going to buy multiple drivers, right? They're not going to buy and say, oh, I'll buy a sleeve of these and a sleeve of these and go go test them out. You're going to buy one driver, right? And And even then, we said, you know, on average, people buy a new driver, what, every three to five years, four to five? Well, that's especially what we advise. So if they're going to buy one driver and you see that 60% of the market is one of two companies, like you said, it's not that you got to win that one battle. You got to win that one battle over and over and over and over. And those aren't bad guesses that the consumers are making because who wins most wanted driver testing almost every year? Three companies. Callaway, TaylorMade, Ping. Ping. Yeah. And we know, right, when you when a golfer goes into a hitting bay, he's not he's not doing strokes gain calculations based on how far offline that ball is finishing and whether or not I think, you know, how's this ultimately is this gonna oh. save me a tenth of a stroke here or there? It's like, how far did that ball go? How fast did it go getting there? And it, in terms of a strict distance battle, in terms of a ball speed battle, I, I talked about this last week or the week before, I would put my money on Callaway to win that battle every time. And again, we talk about this with the Epic and talking to, to Doc Hawk, right? It's, you know, hey, we, we want our nose out in front, just even if it's just a little bit, right? We want to be on top of that ball speed battle. And from what we've seen, you know, Callaway is doing that year in and year out. Tie goes to the fastest. Yep. That's not to say they're light years ahead of everybody else, but you know, they're a little bit ahead. And when you have that advantage in the marketplace, if you're demoing, say, an Epic LS against uh, the, the new Mizuno STX and, and it's really, really close, you're going to have to really, really love that Mizuno to have the degree of trust that you would have just natively with Callaway. Just again, based on history, right? History matters. Yeah, back to Michael Phelps. He was always just somehow, right? A millisecond ahead of everybody. It's crazy. All right, guys. Well, we covered a lot today. Some good stuff. Yes. <laughs> yes, we did. So until next time, uh, we out. <laughs>